did you find this? Greg's here, cold open. Oh, this one time I was producing a theme for local PBS, not national PBS, just local PBS in San Francisco, where it was kind of a talk show, public information show. And we got to the end of it. It was recorded. Uh, and we finished the show after like three hours of producing. And we realized that the person whose job it was to push the button to record never pushed the button to record. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, like, like, and there were like 40 of us on this. And they looked at me because I'm the producer. And I just said, first round's on me. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's why we and, employ Craig. And Craig shows up whenever, but he presses the button. So. And yep. Craig, Craig also worked through the strike, both strikes, which you got to yeah. give kudos oh, to. Scab. <laughs> Craig's he's totally a scab. He's our Sean Payton. Stag <laughs> after strong. Yeah. All right. So episode 105, we're here. Uh, I'm Tony here with Craig, here with Shane, here with Ryan. Special guest star, Evan Hoovler tonight, one of the Football Absurdity Brain Trust. Evan, how you doing tonight? I am a Ravens fan, and I'm guesting on my favorite podcast, so I am amazing. My man. Tony, I think you smoked too much weed because we're on 106. Yeah, I was going to say, this is 106 <laughs> I think last week. Time is not progressing in the same direction for Tony. Technically, 105, 105 was Time Lords, so maybe we are just Groundhog Daying it, yeah. and we're just repeating yeah. the same oh, episode. Yeah. Okay. Because what is, what is 106 if not a spiritual successor to 105? That's true. I mean, we are we are pretty close to Woodstock. We're only like ten miles away from Woodstock, fifteen miles that's, away. That's true. Um, I watched. Uh, speaking of, yeah, um, Woodstock, Illinois is where they filmed Groundhog Day, and so someone that we used to know in high school, their family's house was the Airbnb uh, that they filmed, you know, Bill Murray's scenes in, and they just did a Hallmark Christmas movie featuring the same Airbnb. By the way, that's wild. Just putting oh, it out yeah. there. So if you're into Hallmark Christmas movies, watch the movie that I just vaguely described to you, whose title escapes me completely. They also film a lot of those movies, or at one period they filmed in downtown Riverside, because one time we were just like flicking through the channels, and I was like, dude, I know that cookie shop. And then like an hour and a half later, another movie was on, and I was like, dude, I know that thrift store. And they're, like three, they're like three years apart. That's awesome. Um, so, Ryan, do you want to start us off episode 106? Yeah, you want to get into it already? I'm I'm ready. We got a lot to cover tonight. That's true. All right. So this week I'm profiling kicker. All right. Okay. This kicker was born without any fingers on his right hand okay. and no toes on his right foot. We're going to talk about Mr. Tom Dempsey. All right. Um. Dempsey. Um, he's born in Milwaukee, uh, attended high school, though, and college in Southern California. As I said, no toes on his right foot, no fingers on his right hand. You can look up some pictures. It's actually pretty crazy to see some of this stuff. So he had like a, like a club foot almost, and he had a special shoe um, made for him so he could kick. And at the time, he was kicking like how kickers did back in the 40s and 50s, where it just straight up like toe kick it. Yeah. You know, and not not like soccer kick it, where you do it with like the inside of your foot or whatever. Yeah. So he wore a modified shoe with a flattened and enlarged toe surface. 
It costs about $200 at the time, the equivalent of about $1,500 nowadays. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> Uh, the shoe generated controversy, though, about whether such a shoe gave a player an unfair advantage. Uh, when reporters would ask him if he thought it was unfair, he'd be like, unfair? Are you kidding me? I have no fingers and no toes. Um, <laughs> hey, disabled guy. About? Hey, disabled guy. I, think you're, I feel you're, like you're, your yeah. wheelchair is not <laughs> fair. Right. Yeah. He's like, how about you try kicking a 63-yard field goal to win with two seconds left wearing a square shoe? And oh yeah, I don't have any toes. Additionally, uh, the ESPN Sports Science uh, analyzed Dempsey's kick and determined his modified shoe gave Dempsey no advantage and the shoe's smaller contact area increased, not reduced the margin of error. Fucking stat that. Right? <laughs> Uh, the league made two rule changes in the subsequent years to discourage further long field goal attempts. The first was in 1974, which moved the goalposts from the goal line to the back of the end zone. You all remember like watching yeah. old film footage. And the dumbest it always, thing ever. Yeah, it always seemed weird how the, the, so, the goalposts so was at the... Right. So that added, uh, that added 10 yards to the kick distance. Uh, and awarded the ball to the defense on a missed kick at the spot where the ball was snapped. This was changed in 94 to the spot of the kick. Yep. Then in 1977, the NFL added a rule, informally known as the Tom Dempsey rule, that any shoe that is worn by a player with an artificial limb on his kicking leg must have a kicking surface that conforms to that of a normal kicking shoe. Okay. Dude, this is some discrimination shit <laughs> right <laughs> so he's widely known for kicking a famous 63 yard field goal as time expired to give the saints a 19 to 17 win over the detroit lions on november 8th in 1970 prior to 1974 the goalposts in the nfl like i said were on the goal lines instead of the end lines with time running out in the game, the Saints attempted a field goal with holder Joe Scarpati spotting at the Saints' own 37-yard line. The snap from <laughs> Yeah, the Saints' own 37-yard line, right? The yeah. snap from Jackie Burkett was good, and Dempsey made the field goal as the ball just fell beyond the bar, just barely. The win was one of only two for the Saints in that horrible season. All right. With the kick, Dempsey broke Bert uh, Reckner's NFL record for longest field goal by seven yards. His record was tied three times by Jason Elam in 98, Janikowski uh, with the Raiders in 2011, and David Akers with the Niners in 2012, before it was broken on December 8th in 2013 by Matt Prater, who hit his famous 64-yard field goal. Yep. Then in 2021, we all remember Justin Tucker hit that 66-yard field goal and now owns the record uh, for longest field goal in NFL history. So dope. But this walk-off kick by Dempsey and, oh, actually, and Gano in, in 2018 is the longest field goal to win a game on its final play. Since Dempsey was the only kicker to make a field goal for more than 60 yards prior to the relocation of the goalposts, he remains the only player in NFL history to successfully kick a field goal from beyond his team's own 40-yard line. Yeah. What a hell from yeah. beyond his team's own 40-yard line. Yep. 
He is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he is in the American Football Association Semi-Pro Football Hall of Fame. He retired in the 70s. Unfortunately, he passed away um, from COVID complications in 2020. Oh, no way. Yeah, he was he uh lived in lived out his later years in New Orleans and contracted COVID as in, as part of his whatever senior living place he was in. Oh sure. And on on April 4th, 2020, after testing positive, he died from complications from COVID-19. But you you guys should look up some of these pictures of this guy. It's it's just crazy because but one of the famous ones I'm looking at right now, it's got his right foot out in front of him, which is just a stub. And then he's got his <laughs> right hand out in his right hand out. And there's just no fingers on it. It looks so weird. Um, but that is the famous story of Mr. Tom Dempsey. Excellent kicker who defied all odds playing football with no fingers on his right hand and no toes on his right foot yeah and they, tri- and they tried to limit his career and he still didn't take that shit that guy yeah. rolled yeah fuck only fuck. person to ever kick from his own 37 yard line and make a field goal that's so cool. gosh that's such a long field goal i wonder whoever beat that must have been awesome we're <laughs> like like they they took a delay a game snap that never got flagged Ooh. Um, speaking of, okay, so so we're talking about someone that is not going to let the rules hold him down. So I've got one for you this week. Uh, I got to preface this by saying that as of right now, Friday night, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, unfortunately, Henry Kissinger is still alive. How? How is God. he still alive? I'm, he fell I'm like two weeks a, ago. I'm making some calls. <laughs> um, all right, so how, let's... How is... How has COVID not killed this man? <laughs> That's a good question. Put his ass in a home. Um, so there you go. Today for my for my story, I'm I'm departing from the world of professional football, and actually, I'm not even doing a guy this week. I'm going to do a lady. Uh, I wanted to tell a story about a long distance runner that I found to be incredibly interesting and somewhat funny. So today we're going to talk about Rosie Ruiz. Okay. All right. Rosie Ruiz has a pretty wild story. She was born in 1953 in Havana, Cuba. She immigrated to America in 1962, which means she came like right before the embargo started. So some of the last people to leave Cuba for America. Sure. She grew up with her family or her extended family in Hollywood, Florida, and went to college in Nebraska where she graduated in 1990, no, 1977 with a degree in music. Uh, no, Ryan, I have no idea what she played. Sorry. <laughs> it's probably like oboe or clarinet or that's, that's something fair. like that. So after she, after she graduates, she moves to New York city in the late 1970s and develops an interest in running. So she applies to run in the New York city marathon. Now she's like an amateur. So no one's really got like, no one knows who she is. So she places really impressively, and her her time in the marathon of two hours, 56 minutes, and 29 seconds is actually 11th among all women runners and gets her an automatic quali- qualification for the Boston Marathon. Damn, that's cool. Oh, wow. 
right? So and wait, so that marathon's what that's like what twenty six miles? How how far yeah, is the marathon? Twenty six point two. Yep. Okay. So it's pretty wild for an unknown runner to just hop in and, and qualify for the Boston Marathon after their first race. But so her application to run the race was turned in late, but she got a special exemption because she she had let them know that she was dying from brain cancer. So they're like, okay, look, you can run. Like if you if this is what you want to do, whatever. So she's quickly becoming an inspirational story. And her legend only grows when she not only runs the Boston Marathon, but wins it with a record time of what? two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. She won it? Which is not only the record for fastest woman's Boston Marathon performance, but the third fastest woman's marathon performance recorded ever. That's crazy. For real? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked for real, Ryan. I, I remember this. Oh... <laughs> so uh from the, from the beginning there were questions um bill rogers had won the men's boston marathon that day and afterwards was talking to her and was like oh you don't know your intervals or splits like what and like those are things that all runners know um race observers noted that when she crossed the finish line she was hardly sweating and had no flushing and her hair was still perfect and her time was somehow a half hour quicker than her New York marathon time. So they asked her like, Hey, how did you run a marathon a half hour quicker than you just did like a month ago? And she said, quote, I woke up with a lot of energy that morning. She's doping. She had to bend. Oh no, you wish <laughs> of all the things that stood out about Rosie's run. It's that nobody could remember seeing her on the course. Uh, what? Oh, dude! <laughs> um, she was just hanging. Was she just hanging out at some Jewish deli, like, and then just oh, showed up oh, at the dude. line? Oh, I got some stuff for you. So, Jacqueline Garreau was told that she was the leader at mile eighteen, and Patty Lyons was second, but neither of them saw her pass them. Something that she would have had to do in order to win this race. Um, so, af after a couple weeks, two Harvard students identified Ruiz as someone who popped out on Commonwealth Avenue a half mile from the end of the race, jumped onto the track, ran the rest of the way. What? Yeah. So after this bombshell drops, a freelance photographer from New York by the name of Susan Morrow goes to the media and tells them, I ran into Ruiz on the subway during the New York Marathon. She's wearing all of her shit. Like she's got the number, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so this lady's like, uh, what, what are you doing? And she's like, look, I got hurt. I dropped out of the race. I want to go. I'm taking the subway to get to the end of the course. I want to see who wins. When they arrive, volunteers organizing the race took her to a medical tent to check on her injury. But uh, she was marked as someone, and I'm pretty sure it was because she had lied to them. She was marked as someone who had finished the race, and the time that she told them qualified her to run in Boston. Okay. Yeah, after Susan Morrow's report, New York Marathon organizers launched an investigation and determined that Ruiz deceived the volunteers and had taken the train to the end of the course to be declared the winner. She was retroactively disqualified from both the New York and Boston marathons, and her times were wiped away. I don't know how she got to where she got to in Boston. I'm guessing a cab. So I, I remember there was an interview with a cab driver who's like, yep, I recognize her. 
Yeah, there you go. The the hater in me is like, dude, this rules, right? Like, I, I think this is such a, a sick flex to be like, how bad can I cheat the system for something that doesn't really, like, matter because you're going to be exposed. But at the same time, like, think about the person who came in second who, like, trained for four years. Like, how the fuck <laughs> they run so fast? And it's like, oh, they just didn't. Yep. Um, so a few years later in 1982, she was embezzled or she was arrested for embezzling $60,000 from a real estate company where she worked. Um, she was given one week in jail and five years probation in 1983. She violated that probation when she sold two kilos of cocaine to an undercover police officer. Oh my God. What is going on with this person's life? She can, she can fix me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, look, you know, if you're going to wear the uniform, you got to sell the cookies, right? If you're going to be a hustler, you got to stay with it, man. Um, I thought originally you were going to say like she was just doing blow the whole time and that's why she ran so fast. <laughs> Could have. Um, I would I would not doubt that she was not taking cocaine at this time. Uh, oh, dude, 1977 New York? Are you kidding me? Um, so after after the cocaine arrest, most of her life was incredibly quiet until her death in 2019, ironically from cancer. She spent the rest of her life publicly saying that she didn't cheat. But after <laughs> after she died, a friend came forward and said that in private she had admit, admitted that she cheated, the thing that everybody knew. And when she had jumped out of the crowd, she had no idea that the woman hadn't passed yet and was, quote, as shocked as anyone when she came in first, end quote. <laughs> that is Rosie oh Ruiz. That's so good. Wow. We had a guy. We had a guy I, in middle school who would do that during the school mile. Like the, it wasn't like a linear track, so it was like a weird. I don't want to say it's obstacle course, but like they used what they could. But he would hide underneath the the Passover bridge until for there was three laps. So he would hide underneath the bridge until the guy who was in first, and he would wait for them to be like two minutes ahead, and he'd come out from underneath the bridge and continue his mile. And the teacher would be like, <laughs> "Gerardo, you run a seven minute mile every time. That's so crazy. I never see you do any exercise." Like. I just like to run. <laughs> I love that. Phrase in this uh, and just getting on the subway, wearing your marathon outfit. You might as well just take a right? bicycle and do the course. Yeah, right. like, look. yeah. throw like a coat on. Something. Yes. I don't want to and- say she had the, the, the most strategic mind that was possible. She, <laughs> no. she seemed like she was kind of a fly by the seat of her pants. Maybe it was all the coke just being like, these are good ideas. <laughs> right. That's um, probably what it was. So yeah, that's Rosie Ruiz. Evan, what do you got? Great, great story. I've got a, a great story, Tony. I've got a very special guy to me uh, named Ernie Holmes. Ernie Holmes was part of the Steel Curtain, the vaunted Steelers defense that led them to four Super Bowl titles. And yes. you know, I keep going back to this quote while I was researching this. I've talked about him many times on, on Football Absurdity. And one time he told Time Magazine, "I don't know what my life is." except there's something pounding in the back of my head. And it's funny how he didn't seem to know what was pounding in the back of his head because reading his biography, it's very obvious why there was always a pounding in the back of his head, both metaphorically and physically. Uh, First of all, he was born on a West Texas farm. That's, uh, That's, if you don't have a pounding in your head every day to get up and feed the animals and water the crops, then you don't live. So then he went to uh, Texas Southern to play football and do college. And you know what else he did while he was there? He got married and had two kids. Now, yeah, if you, that'll keep a pounding in your head every single night. Like, that's uh, that's something. 
amazing. <laughs> and so then he got drafted into the NFL, and he got drafted in the eighth round by the Steelers. Ooh. They don't even have round eight anymore. Oh, I and was that, say, yeah. yeah, that drive to compete because he needed the checks to send home to his family in Texas, that'll keep uh, pounding in your head. And he... Uh, he automatically just played all out in every practice. People didn't like to practice against him because he would just hit them and try to like. They use the phrase here. ESPN's uh, ESPN's Chad Millman says he would use his head like a ram's horn to try and raise people off the ground in practice. Oh. And uh, when he was in the rookies, uh, he made it. He made a, a name for himself his rookie year. Uh, he kept mugging the other defensive linemen. Uh, uh, from across the room, and so the other defensive line went up and like, stuck his hand out. It was like, "Hey, we're both playing the same position." And Ernie Holmes replied, "Yeah, fat boy, you know you're going to have to leave here. There's not room for more than one of us." Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that happened his rookie year was a big banquet, a big banquet for all of the uh, players. Uh, it was hosted by defensive line coach George Pearls, and. Uh, they had a full roasted pig, pasta, roast beef, and they devoured it. And and Terry Hanratty, the backup to Terry Bradshaw, was late. And he comes in, and they're all sitting back, just stuffed, holding their stomachs. And then he says, and there's, then Ernie Holmes leans forward, grabs the pig's head, pounds it in the ground, cracks it open, and starts eating the brains. Jesus. Oh, my God. I maybe, like a good metaphor, not. and you're wondering what's pounding in your head. Well, now you're pounding a pig's head in the ground in its brain. Wow. So, wow. yeah. Um, but this is not just uh, remember a guy. This is also remember a time. Because there was a time, and I barely remember this, but I'm 45. I, I don't think any of you are old enough to experience this. There was a time between 1964, say, and 1981 where things were different. Um, first of all, I'm about to describe the moment where the pounding in the back of his head broke through, like the metaphorical, like the pig's real skull pounded through to eat his brains. Uh, okay. And it was March 1973, and he and his wife separated. And again, he'd been doing everything hardcore to try to like get checks for them. So this was a trigger, and he didn't know if he'd ever see his kids again. And apparently he was the guy who was hooking up his family. So he, he was worried. And so he, he asked uh, uh, Dan Rooney, you know, the Rooneys, they own yeah. Steelers. Yep. I help yeah, him. Yep. And Rooney said, you know, come see me in Pittsburgh. And uh, uh, this is March, so Holmes was in Houston at the time. And Rooney said, okay. And that night he jumped into his car and drove through the night without sleeping. And the next day from Houston to Pittsburgh. And when he arrived at the Steelers' office, clearly having a mental break, uh, it was closed because it was like 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> so he got into the car, kept driving from Pennsylvania to Ohio, and he stopped at the scene of an accident and, and told the police officer there, trucks are trying to cut me off. And the police was like, all right, that's what they do at 5 in the morning. So right. he gets back in his car, Holmes grew paranoid as the morning route commute started and traffic started blocking his car and he began convinced trucks were after him. Okay. Now, when I say this is more of a remember a time than remember a guy, I want to say this is a time between 1964 and say 1981 when two things were different. Number one, mental health crises were treated with the care and love they deserved frequently. They weren't treated as a stigma. And number two, when a black guy is doing some crimes, 
he's not an immediate threat of getting shot by police. So here's what happened. He pulled a shotgun from his floor and started shooting at the tires of passing trucks. He blasted his oh window open and just kept shooting. And the state police came and started chasing him at 90 miles an hour. He blew out a tower, went off the road, jumped out of the car, ran to a nearby forest with his shotgun. Uh-oh. A police sent a helicopter after him, and he shot at it, hitting an officer in the legs. Whoa. Oh, no. And still, like, the officers, like, managed to call Dan Rooney. Dan was like, just take him into custody. He doesn't want to hurt you. Don't kill him. Uh, and eventually, they actually get to him and cuff him. And the, cu- the officer after was like, we could have killed you a dozen times. Yeah. And that night, that night, Dan Rooney talks to him on the phone and says, we'll do everything we can for you. Don't worry. And Dan Rooney drove down there and got him a lawyer, paid his bail, and admitted him to a psych hospital in western Pennsylvania and paid for it all. And this was, of course, March. He didn't have to be anywhere. Uh, he stayed there for two months. Art Rooney visited every – sorry, I said Dan Rooney. I meant Art Rooney. Uh, Art Rooney visited nearly every single day. Um, the famous stealer Elsie Greenwood would go and take him on trips around town where he's like, I'll watch this guy. I'm huge. I can take him down if it doesn't. And and <clears throat> this was after, I think, two seasons with the Steelers and one Super Bowl. And that summer, he went to Ohio, pled guilty to assault with a deadly weapon. A, psycholog- a psychiatrist said, yeah, he suffers from acute paranoid psychosis. Duh. They gave him five years probation and July, he was back in training camp. September, he was the Steelers starting to finish the tackle, and he played seven years and won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. That is oh, wow. Ernie Holmes. Wow. Hell yeah. That, that's so a pounding did, head. Did yeah. This guy, did this guy ever uh, donate his brain to science? It sounds like he's got CTE. He did not. He actually died in a single car car accident at 60, 59 years old in 2008 when he just kind of drove off the road in the middle of the night. And he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Really? So there was no talk of him donating it or whatever. Yeah. Do you, do you think like one of his like grandkids maybe might have shown him like Transformers later in his life? And just like, <laughs> just, like <laughs> melted his brain of like, I told you guys. These cars are trying to kill us yeah, all. Yeah, or, or Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is funny because that... he actually acted in a movie uh, co-written by Stephen King. And I was like, ah, oh, it should have been Maximum Overdrive. You missed perfect casting. Come on. <laughs> Like, what was that I, horrible? What was that horrible movie from the eighties or nineties about like trucks that are like maximum overdrive? Is <laughs> maximum that the overdrive. Oh, yeah. Okay. Stephen King is. I don't remember <laughs> writing these coked out years. Yeah, that's <laughs> he must that's like peak. He must have known Tony's person of the Boston runners. They just shared a dealer. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh and yeah. It's a, turns out it's an undercover cop. <laughs> it's always <laughs> a cop. I, you know, like that story, Evan, at, at some points, I it felt like we were veering into like falling down territory. Yeah. A little bit. You know, like, yeah. I, I'm, I feel like one of those cops that was shooting at him had to have been his last day before retirement. Yeah. Psychotic breaks with a shotgun are not pretty. And no. I'm, shocked. Go. I'm shocked. Living in the world we are now, I'm shocked he's not dead. I'm shocked he yeah. played for seven more seasons. Right. I'm shocked that he was placed in a mental institution and paid for by the owner and was lovingly cared for and had a had a decent life. He went back home and like had a reasonable life. It's weird. I I wonder what happened in 1981 that uh, might have changed the way our the society world might never know 
speaks about <laughs> mental health. Um, yeah, when I, was, when I said about 1981, I meant about January 21st, 1981. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and it, uh, it, like, oh, yeah. And you know what? As as alive as Henry Kissinger is, we can all take solace in the fact that Reagan is rotting in hell. Um, all right, Shane, what do you got? So we're talking pounding in the head, and Evan's a person I always like to pick their brain because as much as like he is involved in the FA sphere, we don't get a lot of time to like have discourse in the Discord with him. So I want to use this kind of period to kind of pick his brain right now. Um, oh, so general- I'm the guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Evan, I'm the guy. Evan is, Evan is our guy favorite. today. I'm the guy. I'm in, I'm in my favorite segment. I'm in my favorite segment. We're not so going cool. to remember a guy because you are here. But so yeah, meta. I, I, I would just like to, if, if we all have like an open floor questionnaire, but um, I know we all, at least on football or at TH Fantasy, have different kind of perspectives on the way we draft. Um, I'm more of a data guy. Tony and Ryan are kind of film more like they like a guy how do you look at players when you draft players do you see them as like more or less like a data point or do you have like specific people you because you're more more or less an auction guy so when yes. you press that when you press that button is it more of a i need this player because of x and y or like just give me a little bit of insight or give us a little bit of insight on that so even more this season than ever before i've really leaned into my teams face a very similar trajectory which is I win a lot in the beginning because I'm good at navigating options. I lose like a losing loser in the middle of the season. I've dropped six in a row in a year where I've won the title. And then I win again because I'm really patient with my bench and I don't drop my rookies and I don't drop my backups. So this year more than ever, I'm like, I'm just going to draft a good opening lineup. And then any rookie or player that is good, get on my team. You know, Zach Charbonnet, get on my team. I had Keaton Mitchell in September, y'all. Because like, I'm like, I will wait. I will wait forever. I don't care. I'm six and three, or I'm four and one. I can do it. So it's it's business in the front. It's really party in the front with my uh, my my starting lineup, and then business in the back, which is just sit in the sit on my bench, hold on until you know late November, early mm-hmm. December, where yeah, I then I have all the all the backups for all the rookies. Yeah. Because you've been playing this game long enough to know you, you you can see the cycles, or I think this season specifically is a really good example of like how fast the wheels can fall off for certain teams and how fast teams can just fall apart. Where, like you're saying, if you build that depth around quality players over a longevity of a season, you're more set up compared to the people who were glass can in the beginning. Yep. Well, I was miss I was focusing on the middle of the season. I'm like, what am I going to do to win in the middle of the season? And I'm like, who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> if I win early, I win late, I win. So I'm like, right. yeah, forget. I, I I didn't do I do the the, the toolbox bench theory where I, I usually have late game, late season potential breakouts, and then boring <laughs> guys that fill in on bye weeks. This year, I'm like, forget about those boring guys. I'll just lose. Like, yeah. give me six guys that are all backup running backs, and I'll just lose in the middle of the season. Well, especially this year, too, because these bye weeks are so brutal. Like, this week, we have Philadelphia and Kansas City and Miami out. So, like, I'm sure teams that drafted, like, Tua, uh, Tyreek, A.J. Brown are all – they're either scrambling when they shouldn't scramble, or they should just take the L, which is what I'm doing in some leagues of, you know what? Yeah, my like two- said, I'm I'm 6-2. and two. I'll just take the L for this week, and we'll just move forward. My two quarterbacks in our experts league, which is Superflex, are Tua and Patrick Mahomes. So, like, I think I'm flexing some random non-quarterback, and I'm starting the Giants' backup quarterback, hoping that 
Well, I don't want to hope for injury, but hoping that something happens where Daniel Jones won't be able to finish the game, and they're not oh, no, going back not. to. If you got, De- I think Devito's getting the start this week. He is. Oh, okay, yeah. Then I have Devito's backup, which and I'm like, is, I don't care. I have no idea. And can who we can we also say? I think we talked about this earlier. Like, so you have bye weeks from like what week five to like thirteen, right? Yeah. Why to avoid all this craziness? You know where we have. Uh, six teams on a buy sometimes. Like, why do we have like week eight where nobody's on buy? Like that that makes no sense. It's got to come down to like marketing, right? It has, it has to come to down be. to tick. It has to be ticket sales or something. Be. And like, I mean, because we've all said at least like there should be two bye weeks for a team. The season's long, right? And yeah. if you want to put yep. one more week in the season, you should at least incentivize it's, players. To, it's hey. mathematically very very doable. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, it always bothers me that like when you draft in real life and you get the draft sticker of your player, they put it up. The largest number next to your player is the bye week. Because I'm like, yep. I, I, nobody looks at that. Nobody uh, yeah. cares except people who are looking for reasons to worry about something that might or might have happened two months from now. The only right. person who, who I know who looks at data like that is Zachy. And Zachy only looks at playoff schedules, which like my brain isn't big enough to comprehend because I'm already dealing with the puzzle that's in front of me where he's 3D chessing it of like, how do I fit this puzzle as well as the convenience of the playoff schedule? Um, but yeah, I don't ever look at bye weeks. I don't look at, just, at playoff schedules because I just assume all my guys are going to be injured by then. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to be playing a totally different puzzle. I'm playing with totally right. different players by then. So whatever. And we also don't know how teams are going to shake up 16 weeks from now, right? Because we all had this, we did all this research, right? We're going to, all these Texan teams are going to be shit, whatever. They're going to be easy matchup. And now it's like, oh, Will Levis might actually have the beneficial matchup matchup compared to Derek Henry. Or CJ Stroud actually might be the beneficiary of playing the Titans, right? So like, we never know what's going to happen. So planning 16 weeks ahead of schedule in May is just, to me, it's nice to do, but I think it, it leaves you open for two. It's it's a nice cherry on top, but don't build your season around that kind of schedule. Before last weekend, Seattle was a top seven defense in terms of least rushing yards allowed, and Baltimore dropped 300 on them. And Baltimore's got Gus Edwards and Keaton Mitchell. They're not tearing up the world. So, yeah. All right. Teams change. Yeah, so, Evan, you mentioned some guys that you liked rookies players who were kind of later round guys who were some of those guys and how did they kind of pan out for you because i know we had guys that we liked and some of them were complete landmines some dudes were league winners in my opinion so who are some guys that you liked um and kind of how are they faring now that we're more than halfway through the season not good shade um <laughs> but that's because it's the middle of the season this is not what i drafted them for let me look at yes. my uh big money league team here uh Good Lord, I'm starting Will Levis in my big nine league. Okay. Hey, you know what? I actually am kind of high on Will Levis this week, so I think that's okay. Hey, see, are, you ta- Jerry- are you talking about the uh, QB with the highest A dot in football, Will Levis? Yeah, who's playing the defense uh. that allowed 450 yards to another rookie last week? Uh, let's see who I have here. That's I have true. Quentin Johnston, still waiting. Zach Charbonnet, still waiting. Keaton Mitchell. Uh, Jarek McKinnon. Maybe never. So not good, but it's also week 10. So I still have time and I'm six and three. I just need one. Yeah. I just need one. And then I've got the guy. 
So, yeah, I, and that's, that's, I mean, they might not pan out, but that's what I mean by I usually win late because I'm so damn patient. Like I've seen yeah. these guys percentage owned drop every week and I'm like, mm, no, they just need one injury. And we all love Charbonnet here, right? Like their schedule upcoming yeah. for rushing defenses isn't favorable, but he's out snapping Kenneth Walker right now in regards yep. to the, and it's just going to take one game, right? And his value is going to exponentially increase. 53% roster dog sleeper. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. I, I've, I've given up on QJ. I sold my one dynasty share. I, it sucks, but uh, if he can't do it in this offense with literally, I mean, granted he had sauce Gardner against him. I, I don't blame people in redraft for, for bailing. I mean, you should have a while ago, but like you said, if, if you're six and three, you don't want any inclination of, there's no one good on waivers right now to replace him anyway. So you might as well yeah. play the upside. Um, oh, wait. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got Rondale, Wandale Robinson off waivers in yeah. a 14 team expense league last week. So I'm like, ah, it's fine. Quentin Johnson, just sit there, hold my clipboard. Yeah. You got we'll nothing see. to worry about. You got him in a 14 team. Yeah. Holy with crap. Six, six nine benches. That's, That's a lot of dudes. I didn't have I didn't have to pay any fab for him either. That's, That's awesome. what I mean though. If it wasn't one day, I'll be some other guy where I'm like, mm, Yeah. I think that someone's gonna panic cut you because your quarterback's Tommy DeVito or whatever his name is. And yeah. I'll I'll go ahead and see if you're his safety blanket. Let's go. And yeah. he was. That's why I was kind of curious of how you look at stuff because as the season progresses for me, I'm kind of seeing more things as data points. Like, granted, I do like players to clap for and I got teams that I like, but at, at this point in the game, I'm like, okay, who can give me 10 points? I don't care what position you play. I don't care who you play for, but like week to week, I just care about these points, right? Where everybody now has either shown what they have or we're kind of waiting on them to do something. So to me at this point, everybody, if you're not a top 10 guy, you're kind of just replaceable on my team of... Watch yeah, play matchups. Zachy yeah. pointed out. You mentioned Zachy. Zachy pointed out that most fantasy football wins are like double digit wins, not yeah. like mm-hmm. I I picked the right guy to score four points instead of the right guy to score three. So I'm like, are you flipping out? Get in. Do you have the potential to flip out? Get on my bench. Everybody yeah. else, I don't care who you are. Just come get your paycheck for me, yeah. and then go in there, yeah. and maybe you'll do good. Maybe not. You're not here to win me a game. Correct. And that that's what we were talking about in the Discord today about like the, the upside of Devon Achan is is he potentially a glass cannon? Yes. Is he potentially gonna get you only seven games a year? But the upside that he possesses and the upside that he's shown people, I think a player like that is worth the investment in a long standing format because like you were saying, if I I had my brain rewarped last year when again Zachy said, Would you rather have the player who gives you fifty points? for eight weeks or the player who gives you like 15 points a game for 16 weeks. And I was like, Oh, I just take the floor. And he's like, no, you want the 50 points. And he gave like a good explanation of why yeah. and stuff like return value. That. But like you said, it's you're winning games by double digits anyway. So you might as well just play for the ceiling instead of trying to play for sixth place. I, when I look at my wins, it's never like, Oh good. I did the right strategy here. It's like, Oh, thank God that dude flipped out. What a loss yeah. otherwise, man. Yeah. Well, I look at I look at Ryan in our our home league, our league of record, and he's in seventh place with like seventy points above anybody else in total points scored, and like yeah. th- that shakes out. You know what I mean? Like, like you're still gonna get in, and when you get in, like the, you just gotta believe in the law of averages, right? The coin flip is going to come to your side when it's going to matter. 
Yeah. I've had in that in that league too, I've had three weeks, maybe even four weeks. I think it's three though, where I've gotten over two hundred points. Um, I've also had some matchups where I scored like 170 and the other person scored like 190. Right. Um, and I, I'm like, what, what am I four and five or four and four or something like that? You're four and five. And I really hope you don't make the playoffs because your team is fucking terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. My team's good. Dude. I have, okay. So his his receivers are Stefan Diggs and AJ Brown. Right. Yeah, and we oftentimes uh, deal with that all four, well, three of us on the Discord. Ryan, who wisely avoids social media, um, the I, where I people are like every week, people are like, "What do I do with Javante Williams? What do I do with Aaron Jones? What do I do with Devontae Adam?" I'm like, "You start him because he could flip out." And they're like, yeah, "But, but right. he's, he might he might give me zero. I'm like, "But he could flip out. Like, just start him. Right. Like, if, it doesn't if you matter. Don't wanna, if you don't want to play a player like that, trade them away." Yeah, and if you and if you don't want to trade true. them away, you have to start them because you're at this weird impasse where you're you're having this decision paralysis of wanting your priors validated, but it's like you have to make a decision. Either you're trying to win or you're trying to lose, and I'm not trying to lose, right? So if if you're gonna get rid of the guy who has the potential ceiling and mitigate that risk for someone you feel is safer, you got to move off that player, right? You you have to you have to. If fantasy doesn't reward stagnation. You have to press the gas pedal and know when to press the gas pedal. A wise man once said, I'm not trying to get fourth place in my fantasy football league. So it's my lineup, true. my my lineup in that league right now this week, uh Trevor Lawrence, Brees Hall, David Montgomery, Stefan Diggs, Christian Kirk, Sam Laporta, Gus Edwards, uh Addison, uh Lions defense, their kicker, Jesus. and I've got AJ Brown on the bench because he's on by. How many teams are in that league? <clears throat> Twelve. Twelve. Jesus. <laughs> yep. Well, and and like, I mean, any we of those guys could flip out. Any of those and, guys could flip out. <laughs> right. And they have. And and like, you just got to put yourself in the best position possible. Like I I benched uh, CJ Stroud last week. But how how did anybody know? Right. Like we'll talk about in our DFS segment of like I won zero parlays this week. But how how did anybody no. expect CJ yeah. Stroud to, to put up set forty seven points and. That's that's like the inspiration for a segment that we can talk about later, uh, where we just identify like nobody thought that Houston and Tampa was going to be an awesome game. I, a new segment I want to try out, uh, we can do in the future is where we try and look at those like shitty ass games and just try and see which one of those is going to be just where you know there's 600 yards on each side, you know, well, yeah, of offense. But- we thought Look it was going to be the Patriots. Uh, I I genuinely did do the Patriots and the Commanders this week. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah. you mean Seahawks so, and Commanders? No, no. I mean last week. Yeah, we oh, were last oh, week. Yeah, we, Tony. We were, Tony was all over that game too. Yeah, and I agreed with him. Yeah, yeah. we uh, process was sound. It doesn't work out. But same thing with Josh Dobbs, right? If you watch that first half of the game, you're like, oh, this is over. And then he went nuclear, right? And he had like one of the best comebacks we've seen in a really long time. Yeah, Josh Dobbs yep. had the weirdest, weirdest day in like football history. <laughs> but it was yep. in the press. Did you see his press conference? Yeah, he's like, "Hi, my name is Josh Dobbs. It's nice to finally get to introduce myself here." Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's one of those. 
it's one of those games too, where you feel like you're just watching something and you know, what's going to happen. It's like the CJ Stroud drive. Like you knew they were going to win. It's just some weird feeling where you see this player put together something with a minute left and you're just like, I'm, I'm watching something great happen right now. And I think that's the sure. cool part. And that's why the, the beneficial side of fantasy of like, who would be at this point in the season, who would be tuning into Atlanta versus the Vikings, unless you're those right. fans, right? So yeah, I, th- I think that's a really cool one of those things like you were saying, Ryan, of just trying to trying to pick out the diamond in the garbage, right? Yeah. Also the Vikings like clearly have personnel that know what they're doing. Uh I mean they're they're like three and one since Justin Jefferson got injured. And they were just describing apparently the office coordinator was just describing the play he wanted to Josh Dobbs. He was like, Okay, the guy on the right is gonna <laughs> go to the left and then the guy in the middle, he was like, I don't even, you don't know the play, man. First read is the white guy. <laughs> Second one is yeah, the fastest right. guy. All right, yeah. then you run. Um. All right, you got anything else? I'm good on questions. If you guys have any other questions, I just like uh, Evan's one of uh, the dear leaders of FA and a very intelligent guy in the sphere. And I I like to, we don't get enough time to, to pick his brain. And it's, I don't know the overlap on TH Fantasy versus like the FA sphere. So I know we're under one big umbrella, but I don't know how many of our listeners ever engage with Evan's content. So I like to get his brain and his takes because we're we're one encapsulated unit of liked ideas and how we build upon each other i appreciate so. you very much too hank chain and it's good because like your data points and i'm like i don't think i've looked at one data point other than like binary <laughs> like did, did you flip out recently yes no if yes then start like there's there's nothing you can really do man i know you can chase this upside and stuff and you can find data points and we do it for like our other segments but there comes a point in the season where you're just riding on vibes Right. Like I'm at this point in the season of like, you look cool. The matchup looks favorable. Yeah. I'm good. I don't need to look at a dot unless I'm looking at like it from a dynasty perspective. I just need to see who's putting up 12 points a game. And then I figure out my, my avenues that way. Yeah. That's a lot of my, that's a lot of mine, but you know me, a lot of stuff's just my gut. What, yeah. what I feel like the narrative's going to be that week or and just, I got a, I got a feeling, you know, and you're more right than wrong. And that's what counts. Right. Dude. Yeah. And I can't even tell you how many times, like, I had all these bets lined up for a game and you'll see like, you know, ESPN coverage where they go and they have a beat reporter at each stadium. And I'll look at like the stadium and the weather conditions and it's just gloomy and shitty. And I'm like, no one's scoring in this fucking game. Why did I, <laughs> like, why did I waste my money like that? That was so stupid. Right. You know, what's hilarious dude is I didn't, like I said, I didn't want a single bet last week, but I put, the over on Dante Foreman rushing yards of 60, 67.5 and the under on Terrace Marshall 2.5 receptions. And I won all my money back that I bet last week just on literally scrolling sleeper walking home yesterday. I was like, this doesn't yeah. matter. This, right. These yeah. lines look exploitable. I'm I, all vibes, right? Full well, research, you know, just, just you pick know, points. You know why, right? It's because you were due. The most dangerous gambler on earth, a gambler that's due. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Felt um, good. All right, so we're going to take a break. We're going to build a a special edition DFS lineup with Evan, and we'll see you on the other side. And goodbye. How does it feel now that you've seen the process, Evan, the process of being welcomed back to the show? Is it, do you feel enlightened? Yes. I guess. <laughs> well, welcome back to drugs. 
Is yeah. he cat on cat drugs? Probably. Sweet. Wherever he is. Wherever he is. Uh, so we've hopped back from the Decisiobot 4200 uh, lot. And here's our DFS lineup, our Superflex DFS lineup. Our quarterbacks are Trevor Lawrence and Geno Smith. Our running backs, Brees Hall. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a wide receiver. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's a receiver that we're having. Uh, I think everyone's going to have Amon Ra this week. Evan Ingram at tight end. We're running back with Keenan Allen. And uh, who did I forget? Did I forget Pollard? Brees Hall. Tony Maybe. Brees Hall, yeah. Well, listen. We got a lot, we got a lot of good juice. Listen. We're trying to identify spots where we think high-scoring games are going to come into play. We think Washington, Seattle, Detroit, and the Chargers. And, uh, you know, we like what the Giants have, or what the, sorry, what the Cowboys have and the Jets have in terms of defensive matchups. So, right now, you know, right now, the Dallas Cowboys are 17 point favorites, and the line is at 39. It's going to be 39 to zero. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's ridiculous. How's that? How's that add up? It'd be thirty-four to no thirty to nine. That's that'd be twenty-eight to eleven. Twenty-eight to eleven. <laughs> Seems about right yeah. for uh, for them. Um, I think I think we got a good lineup this week. Yeah. All right. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right. Let's talk about. Ryan's a mid-tier tight end kind of shitty player of the week. All right. Guess who's back this week, guys? Kyler Murray. All right. And guess who's going to be a safety net at $5,100 on FanDuel? Trey McBride. There's going to be some dink and dunk passes all week. I'm calling at least five receptions on seven or eight targets and a touchdown. All right, for Mr. Trey McBride this week against Atlanta. I also am all over Arizona winning this game. So I really like Trey McBride this week. Um, someone else someone else to get behind at 5,300. Uh, Mr. Logan Thomas uh, this week I like against um, Seattle just for the mere fact that Sam Howell's like top five quarterbacks with the most like pass attempts per game right now. Yep. Um, he's getting a lot of targets. He's developing some chemistry. Uh, four of six targets last week. He could potentially get a touchdown too. But just in case uh, my feed got a little bit rattled before, at 5,100, I'm calling Trey McBride for my tight end shitty player of the week. All right? <laughs> of the week. Of the week. Um, I, I like to do this because, you know, at the end of – Going to Gambletown, we do our uh, DFS plays of the week, and I try to not double anybody's anybody's picks. So now that I know Trey McBride's already taken, I can pivot, and since I know Waleed's going to take Sam Laporta, I'm going to have to find a third tight end by 12 o'clock tomorrow. Dalton Schultz. Oh, no. Dalton Schultz That's, is there you a go. great play. There you go. Great play. Um, okay, so Shane... Yeah. What do you got? Tell us the lines you'd like this week. All right. Since last week I didn't win a goddamn thing, I'm going back into the lab and I'm going to manifest us some money. So don't do what I do right now and you'll actually win some cash. 
Uh, speaking okay. of Dalton Schultz, uh, when I placed this bet, his over was 50.5. I took the over on that, but as of right now, it's at 49.5. I don't know why. Apparently, Vegas wants to move it one yard. With Nico Collins out, someone's going to have to play the big man role, and the Bengals give up the fifth most points to tight end position with their main weakness being to the inline position, which Schultz plays the most out of. This game's very interesting to me because I feel it's either going to be a shootout because the teams are kind of equally as crippled right now or it's just going to be a one-sided beatdown by the Bengals. so i feel was, like this has... was that a was that a tom dempsey joke i don't know who that is so no ryan's kicker oh you should listen to this podcast oh, yes. i love it i took a weed hit so i definitely the first, the first portion of this um yeah i think Jane that game's gonna faded. be yes sir um in honor of the veterans I'm frying my brain cells That's right. for you. That's right. Shout out. I forgot it's Veterans Day. Thank you, all our vets. You did it. Uh, yeah, I think this game's going to be weird. And Tony said off air, Dalton Schultz has had like 25 targets in the last, what, three games? He's going off. And His numbers I, are sick right now. Yeah. Uh, sick, great round value. Uh, the next guy I have is also we have in our DFS lineup. I took the JSN over of 3.5 receptions because that felt really easy, especially since the commanders to give up the second most touchdowns, 13 um, in the NFL, as well as the most yards per catch, 9.9 to opposing wide receiver in the nine games, with JSN averaging seven targets a game and an 18% team target share with DK Metcalf only missing one game within that time frame. And I'm also taking the over on him of 40.5 yards. Okay. And I know those numbers seem low, but in the in the context of our DFS lineup, I think if he can also score a touchdown, we're in the money for 15 points. Yeah, I like it. So you're doubling down on JSN. Yeah, I think I think we're approaching breakout season. Okay, excellent, Dal- excellent. Dalton Schultz. Okay. The next those, one is yeah. Good. Another no, potential. Another potential touchdown because Arthur Smith is so stupid because he's the guy who goes nah uh nah uh nah uh and when he's met with criticism he immediately uh walks it back and even with his five minute presser that had zero to say about the Bijan's usage I think he's going to be bullied into be into be giving Bijan red zone snaps this week as well as Arizona being what like the second or third worst rushing defense against Terrible. running backs this this week so even sure. though Algier has become the preliminary red zone back I think talent is going to out trump this and the fact that the rushing as well as the receiving line was the same i just took any time because it can come either way right yeah i sure hope so you gotta start doing something with your eighth overall pick come on i mean i I think they're gonna pick in the top 10 again just based on the way trajectory works and they're gonna pick another offensive player we're gonna be mad about next year but it is what it is uh, my next yep. one is a, is a hater line. Derek Carr under 243.5 yards. Derek Carr average, is averaging 235 yards per game right now with some boom weeks over 300, but in his graded throws and his NFL passer rating, he takes a hit every time he faces a team that puts pressure on him. While Minnesota does give up yards to the wide receiver position within a bottom 10 rate, they're also the number one blitzing team in the NFL. And when Carr faces over 10 pressures per game, he has a 50% chance of throwing for under 250 yards two of those samples are when he had to have over 50 passing attempts in the shootouts that he had against houston and i believe i can't remember the other team that he had that many points against but i don't think this kind of game is going to be scripted that way okay okay and then my final 
uh, pick of the week is Will Levis over 221.5 passing. My yards. man. I know we. I said nice. Will, Will Levis is a psyop, but I think the Mayo man has been activated because even though he did not have a high fantasy scoring week last year, he did throw for over, I think it was 240 yards, maybe 260. In a, in it, a yeah, game something, like, something like that. He beat his Vegas line by like 40 yards. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't throw any touchdowns. That's why he didn't score any fantasy points that were like um, important in regards to that. But um, I still believe that he will hit his over this week. And Tampa Bay is giving up the third most yards to the wide receiver in the NFL and the fifth most points to the QB position. Granted, they only have D Hop again, but with a stout rushing defense, I think we're going to see a more strangely pass-heavy experience in Tennessee as we've are been seeing the last two weeks. I think off air, Tony, you said that the last two weeks, Will Levis has like eighty-nine dropbacks, which eighty-one, think- baby. I don't think Ryan Tannehill has had in his whole last season. <laughs> Do you like his line at over one and a half uh, passing touchdowns? No, not really. I, no. I, I, okay. I don't know how that game's going to pan out. Like I, I know we were talking off air too of how we're trying to pinpoint these games that potentially look ugly, but it, it, you kind of got the recipe from Pittsburgh last week of he's going to force throws into yeah. double coverage to the only person who's viable on the team. So yeah. I think Todd, Bowles I mean, is going to script the game. I was just wondering, cause that line is plus money right now. Um, it's not, it's juiced to the under, but I mean, for me personally, like I don't even bet the 1.5 over on like quarterbacks such as Mahomes or Herbert or Burrow. Those lines are just so, all of those, never... those lines for those guys are never one and a half. They're like two and a half. So yeah, I, they just, uh, I, I never know how teams are going to score. Right. I know I have some anytime touchdowns, but most of my bets, like touchdowns aren't sticky. You can't predict them, especially like in, in games like this, where I don't want to risk that kind of, cause like they could get to the five yard line and they're like, even with a good rush defense, like, all right, Derek Henry just go right like it's so circumstantial but yeah I don't like right. betting overs on QB touchdowns because it's so, so like we saw we, we thought the Carolina game was going to be be a beat down with uh the Texans and then it was nothing and then last week sure we, we saw the exact opposite so that's just not how I like to gamble but yeah I have a fun fact before we hop into my game uh that I, we're gonna play this week I want to I don't want to ask you like who it is because there's no fucking way you're going to get it. I'm just going to let you know. I want to tell you the um the NFL leader in end zone targets this year with 11 is Romeo Dobbs. That's disgusting. Really? What the hell? I know. What the fuck is wrong what? with this country? What? We used to be a proper country. All right, so I have a game. Welcome. Welcome to the game. This was partially inspired by the the games that Evan plays with us on Thursday Night Farceball, which you should watch on Twitch or YouTube, depending. Um, and It's a great show to watch the game along with. I enjoyed it every week. I appreciate when you guys are there. Especially so, last night. <laughs> last <again>. night was <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, so I decided, since Evan is our esteemed guest, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you questions about AFC North teams. Okay. So for each prompt, I want you to tell me which team in the AFC North this player belongs to. We have five questions. Which team does the AFC North running back with the most receptions play for? Evan. Which team does the AFC North running back with the most receptions play for? 
Correct. I think it's Jerome Ford. I think it's Cleveland. Okay, Shane. Joe Mixon and the Bengals. Ryan. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Pittsburgh. To go Warren. Ryan is correct. It is Jalen Warren. Damn. Kenny Picketed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number two. Which team does the AFC North running back with the most total half PPR points on the season play for? Uh, Ryan, you go first. Running back. It can't be Warren again. That'd be so easy. So I'm going to go Cleveland. Okay. Shane? Gus Bus Ravens. Evan? It's got to be either Mixon or Edwards. Um, Shane went Gus Bus. I'll go with Mixon. Shane is correct. It is Gus mm. Edwards. It's those it, six touchdowns, really? baby. In yeah. half... In half PPR, Gus Edwards is RB17. Okay. All right. The quarterback with the most interceptions on the season in the AFC North has five. I'm not going to ask you what team he plays for. I'm going to ask you who he is. Five interceptions. Quarterback on a team for the AFC North. Shane. It's Deshaun Watson. Oh, I got this. Uh, then we'll have you go last. Ryan. Is it Burrow? Five interceptions. Okay, go ahead, Evan. It's P.J. Walker. Evan is correct. It is P.J. Walker. Oh, no. I saw, like, <laughs> half of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was in, like, one game. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. There is only one <clears throat> team in this division that ranks in the top ten for most rushing touchdowns allowed. Which team is it, Evan? I'm just replaying all the Baltimore games against these teams. <laughs> and be like, Can we score three <laughs> touchdowns against them? Um, let's go. Because hmm. it's team defense. So which defense yeah. has given up seven rushing touchdowns? Like I, I've seen Cleveland get run on by the Baltimore, but they're good. So uh, most rushing touchdowns against them. I'm gonna. It's not Baltimore. David lights out. No, it, I don't think it. I've eliminated Cleveland. Um. Uh, Cincinnati. Okay, Shane. Steelers. Ryan. Yeah, it's got. It's got to be Pittsburgh. It is the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. Who has run on what? <laughs> All right. I am going to ask you guys to work collaboratively on this. Um, Make a your... DFS lineup with these four teams. Yeah. All right. It's a, it's a two-parter. And you, you guys, I'll give you time to brainstorm this together before you submit your final answer. How many Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers have two or more receiving touchdowns this season? And can you name them all? Okay. Well, I've seen two from Jamar Chase, so he's one. Yeah, yeah. Is that are you locking that one in for sure? Yeah, I've seen two from okay. Chase. Okay. Higgins has got two, uh, right? I can't recall Higgins. No, yeah. maybe he's only got one. I don't think that one last week counted. No, Boyd no Boyd's Boyd's got more than two, I thought. Okay, so Boyd. And then okay. who is their third guy? Because I have a feeling Tony's got a little bit of a, a curveball here. Where there's some third guy who's like, we're like, who? And he had two. 
I, I don't. Is it no wait? Is it Irwin? It, I don't know. It's gonna Who's be a guy. Where I'm like, who? Damn it! They have two white guys on their team. One guy I cannot pronounce Trent. his name. Let's just say there's a curveball and say three, or should we say four? Double curveball. I don't know say, baseball. Did, that did you did you say wide? Yeah, base. When I watch baseball, did you say wide receiver or receiver? Exclusively wide, receiver. wide wide receivers. Okay, so it's not their tight end that they everyone no. was hyping up. Yeah, it's no. got to be Trenton. It's got to be Trenton Irwin. No, he's a he's a tight end, right? No, he's a wide receiver. Is he? I thought I thought he was tight end, and then uh, he's just no. a fat guy. That's he, all. He's so he's, he's just a, he's a big guy. Yeah. Uh, the, but he's Andre Andre Yosivash. Yeah, Yosivash. Oh, that guy. He's got two. I'm pretty sure he's got two. I don't think Tony would feed us the answer. So I'm going to say not Andre Yosivach. In fairness, he's on my list right here because I needed to have him in case you brought him up with the proper pronunciation. Because uh, okay. my my American brain read his name in the offseason and it, I heard on the, the broadcast and I said, there's no way that's the same human being that I've mm-hmm. studied tape on. <laughs> So three or four, I think, is the debate. So we have Chase, we have Boyd. Uh-huh. And I really don't think Higgins got two. So. No, I don't. I don't think it's Higgins either. Higgins has been moody. Yeah. All right. Should we say say three then? Let's see three. I don't want to bully, but I I, I I see the problem is I don't know the Go position ahead. that the Ryan said. Really? I, I believe that that guy has two touchdowns, but I don't. I, I thought he was a tight end. But well, there also might nah. be some other dark horse, some rando, because Cincinnati always has touchdowns caught where I'm like, who? It's like Jay Tompkins. And I'm like, what the what? <laughs> so I'm seeing on my sleeper updates, and I'm like, I don't know who the fuck that is. I, so, I feel like Trent, I feel like Trenton Irwin had a couple early <laughs> season touchdowns. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's do three. Let's let it rip then, Trenton Irwin. Okay, the the number is four. Is your damn first it, hint. damn it, Everyone's all of right. you, bully me more. So you have confirmed so far, Chase Boyd. Are you locking in Irwin? Sure. I don't know, I don't know who else to add. To I don't know what that is for wide for wide for wide receivers. Yeah, it's got to be. Okay. Well, on the plus side, you all got it wrong together. Um, <laughs> damn it. Cincinnati's four wide receivers with two or more touchdowns this season are Jamar Chase with four, Tyler Boyd with two, T. Higgins with two. Ah, and you were right. All right. And and Andre Yosivash with two. I knew it. Damn it. Okay. All right. It wasn't it was Higgins. Higgins was the the, the red herring. Yep. Yep. It was Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's hamstring. <laughs> um all right. So now that that's done, that was fun. Thank you guys for playing along. Um Ryan. Let's take a trip. All right. Let's pull up that Western music. We're going out West this week, boys. All right. Hit it. We're going to a place that is not formally known as the Mile High City, but is located in an elevation that is higher than Denver. All right. Oh, Denver Let's two. Take a trip. <laughs> Let's take a trip to Denver two. In the great state of New Mexico, let's go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. All right, Ooh. Albuquerque. All right, I've never been there, 
So Shane, if you want to shed any insight since you've been there. Okay, so technically the Rio Grande flows through New Mexico or through flows through Albuquerque, right? So in that river valley, the lowest elevation is around 47, 4800 feet. The lowest elevation in Denver is around like 51, 5200 feet. Okay. But in some parts of Albuquerque, it gets up to 6700 feet at the foothills of the Sandia Mountains. So, technically, this city is at a higher elevation than the famous Mile High City of Denver. As I said, the Sandia Mountains are the mountain range that flows through, or flows, that <laughs> goes through <laughs> Albuquerque. Uh, Sandia in uh, Spanish means watermelon because at sunset, for some reason, it says that these mountains uh, emit like a pinkish hue at sunset. Uh, at one point, Albuquerque was the sheep herding capital of the world. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. What are the metrics on that? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I couldn't find it. How many cubits uh, of sheep? Yeah. Uh, Albuquerque actually has a rich history. And most of these uh, Western towns, uh, it was developing in like, the early 1800s, middle 1800s, but Albuquerque was founded in like the early 1700s by the Spanish because of its, you know, location to the border of Mexico and the Spanish conquistadors and is actually called Albuquerque because of a duke in the Duke of Albuquerque in Spain. Yeah. And oh, yeah. the the name stuck and it's called that to this day it's actually the only word yeah it's the only word in the english language that uses q u e twice in its in its phonetics and pronunciation damn they are the hot air balloon capital of the world uh, <laughs> they have that they have that crazy yeah. fest i don't know what month it is in um october but they have that is it october yeah, they have that crazy fest where, like, air balloon, you know, aficionados just get together every year and raise raise the hot air to the sky. Okay, bring it up. Bill Gates and Paul Allen, uh, the founders of Microsoft, actually started their business between '75 and '79 in Albuquerque. Okay. Did you guys know that the first ever Bitcoin machine? was uh, <laughs> rolled out in Albuquerque. Hey, man, I'm going to say, dude, there's a lot of people fried by that desert sun, and that does not surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Uh, we all know that um, Walter White and that famous meth show were filmed here, Breaking Bad. It um, is, it's very big over there. The, so the, the, I yeah. have I have a personal anecdote. Do you want me to do it now or later? Bring it yeah. on. Go, bring it go Okay, ahead. so... Y'all know my dad from my obituary of him, which won the fantasy football article of the year, right? Yes, For a while, true. he lived in Albuquerque. Oh, and cool. he got a gig letting his house be rent out to film Breaking Bad. Really? And so they filmed Breaking Bad. Yeah, his house is part of Breaking Bad. Some scenes for some shit or something. I don't remember. But uh, not, the, not the not the famous house though. Not right? the famous house. No, but 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 yeah. uh, other scenes. I'll they had the that. camera crew right through. And one day they were like, "Hey, we're short an extra. Do you want to just like answer your door and say, hey, he's not here, on camera, and be on Breaking Bad?" 
Sure. And my dad, of course, said no because my dad is, you know, like, <laughs> like you could have been on Breaking Fucking Bad and gotten paid a talking line role. Right. Gail. Oh, God. So, anyway, that's my Breaking Bad. Wow. New Mexico story. The, yeah. The lady who owns the Breaking Bad house has, like, I think she has a bunch of security on there because people yeah. will just pull up and try throw to take pe- pictures and, and throw pizzas throw, and shit out yeah, pizzas. Pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a I have a couple friends who actually live out there and they're like, Do you want to do the Breaking Bad tour? And I told them I've never seen the show and they said, Thank God, because I'm tired of giving this tour to everybody who comes out here. Because <laughs> films because film's really big out in Albuquerque. That's like one of their major um yeah. eco- economies right now. Yeah. My brother in law actually also lives in Albuquerque. Okay, hell yeah. Because he's a, he was the last Los Alamos uh, tree site. Oh, oh hell yeah! Did you guys know that the minor league baseball team, the Albuquerque Isotopes, actually became a real team because of the Simpsons? Because when they were talking about moving the Springfield Isotopes from the Simpsons, and they wanted a team down in Albuquerque for the minor league baseball. Uh, the town just was like, let's call it the Albuquerque Isotopes because of the Simpsons. And the you Los know? Alamos National Lab. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty popular. Then, and that's, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why they have the National Museum of Nuclear Science and History uh, is because of Los Alamos down there and they have that in Albuquerque. They were Oppenheimer. They made the bomb. Yeah. Yep. yep. They are become death. <laughs> um, Tony, you might like this. They have what's called the Best Friends uh, Forever Cemetery, and it's a cemetery where you can be buried next to your pets. My man, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, so I'm just imagining you and Leche being buried next to each other, you know. The king. Let's talk a little bit about University of New Mexico, all right? It's the Lobos, right? That's right. Fuck yeah. Brian Erlacher famous Bears linebacker went to University of New Mexico. Uh, I don't know if Tony will know this, but I don't know if uh, Evan or Shane will know this, but famous Bulls player Luke Longley, who's from Australia, attended University of New Mexico. He sucked. Um, (laughs) The University... Yeah, he only won like three championships with the Bulls. (laughs) (laughs) He was not good. Yeah. Uh, The University of New Mexico actually has the largest database of brain data and scans from incarcerated populations. So they take like uh, they take data from prisons, and for some reason, they they hold all that data down there. I don't know why. It's, the, it's a S2, weird place. S two capital of the world. It definitely is a bizarre place. Yeah, yeah, they they have like a criminal a part some somewhere in their repertoire up there. They have a criminal like studies program, and they study all these brain scans to see if there's any correlation to how brains look in terms of you know being criminal versus being a normal person society. But that's a little bit about New Mexico. Let's talk about some famous people. Let's go from Albuquerque, New Mexico. All right. Let's go. Uh, we've got famous comedian Mark Marin uh, is from New Me- uh, Albuquerque. Um, we've got famous 1984 Playboy playmate Barbara Edwards. All right, Babs. Yep. <laughs> we've got Zach Gentry, uh, former tight end of Cincinnati, who we just talked about. 
Yeah. We didn't talk about them, but we talked about people on Cincinnati. Um, we've got Ronnie Lott, Hall of Fame defensive back. Um, Missing part of a finger. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we've got Arian Foster, famous running back for the Texans early on in their franchise history. Famous script leaker. He's the one that's told everybody that the NFL was scripted. There's a lot yep. of brain, there's a lot of brain damage in Albuquerque. Diego Sanchez, the UFC fighters from there, and that dude's like certified batshit insane. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We've got Alex Bregman, current teammate in the Houston Astros, power slugger. He hit like I don't know, almost thirty home runs this year. There you go. All right, let's talk about. Oh well, main. Let's shout out to Amazon. Uh, Jeff Bezos <laughs> is from Albuquerque. Whoa. Let's see. We've got French Stewart, a uh, famous actor from <laughs> Third Third Rock from the Sun. If we all know, uh, if you ever, anyone remember that show? Dude, yeah. Third Rock from the Sun is a massively underrated TV show. Yeah, it's massively. great. I love it. I love it. I love the episode of Community where you played a French Stewart impersonator. <laughs> yeah, but that was a great episode. <laughs> uh, we got Freddie Prince Jr. Yes. Freddie Prince yeah. Jr., dual threat. Not only is he an actor, an expert hacky sacker, but also he was a writer for WWE for years. He was? Really? Yeah. I did not know that. That's yeah. weird. Uh, we've got um, Neil Patrick Harris is from Albuquerque, New oh, Mexico. That's awesome. Minka Kelly from Friday Night Lights. We've got Randy Castillo, Tony, drummer for Ozzy and Motley Crue. Oh boy, uh, Tommy Lee's yeah. villain. Yikes! Yep. <laughs> uh, we've got famous singer Demi Lovato is from Albuquerque. Oh. Um, uh, we've got Jim Everett, former Rams quarterback. Famous Jim Rome slapper. Yep, he be- yeah. almost beat the shit out of yep. Jim Rome on TV. He did. He just slapped. <laughs> yep. He warned him. He warned him. Call me Chris <laughs> Kelly again, and I'm gonna smack you. All right, Chris flips the fucking table. <laughs> We've got uh, the first person from Albuquerque to play in the NBA. We've got Gary Suter. That's a hockey name. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It sounds like a hockey name. We've got uh, famous rapper Exhibit. Ooh. From Albuquerque. Famous ride pimper. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, the entire uh, band, The Shins. It's from Albuquerque. That's right. We also have uh, a band that I loved in college. I still love to this day. They haven't done anything in a while, but we've got the band Beirut. It's from Albuquerque. Oh yeah, okay. We also have Mike Judge, uh, King of the Hill, Beavis and Butthead, Idiocracy. Is from Albuquerque. Did anybody see that? Ever see that movie Extract with Mila Kunis that he I did? I did, uh-huh. and 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 Jason yeah, that was Bateman. pretty good. Yeah, Jason Bateman and it Kristen Wiig. It didn't. It was. I, I found it lacking. I'm like, what are you doing? You'd be funny as fuck now. Like, do this now. I liked it. It was decent. Um, I, I did not. I'm like Mila Kunis and Jason Bateman are on screen. Be funny as fuck. Do this now. And they didn't sure. do it. Now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a roundup of people, places, facts, history, Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know what the most famous thing of Albuquerque, New Mexico is? Green chili. Yeah, hatch chilies. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> so 
I, I actually have a funny story about that. There's, I used to work with someone uh, who moved down to Albuquerque. She retired and moved down there. And she sent me, like, when she first moved down there, she's like, they have these peppers or whatever. And she sent me, like, two giant boxes. I work for a logistics company, so they just shipped them up, like, FedEx or whatever. Of, like mild medium and like hot hatch chili peppers and i was eating those for like an entire year i froze some of them and it, but it was really good you put it in your chili you put it in whatever yeah, green chili is good christmas yeah. christmas and omelet it's pretty good i didn't know that yeah, i got yeah. called out because i was like what's a christmas enchilada and they're like you're not from here are you i'm like no i'm not what does it mean <laughs> like it's red and green chili i was like oh okay because it was like March when I went, I was like, Christmas was two months ago. I, I did you not update your menu? Right. Yeah. Um, I had uh, two names that I I found that I wanted to bring up that you missed. Um, sure. Ari Ari Aster is from Albuquerque. The so, Ari Aster, right? Yeah, the yeah the director. Um, did you Hereditary. Know, he did Hereditary. He did Midsommar, and he did Bo is Afraid, which I haven't seen yet. Okay. It's too long. It's like four hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen. I'll watch Bears Panthers on a Thursday night for three and a half hours, but a four-hour movie is where I draw the line. Um, actually, Bears Panthers is only two hours and forty-five minutes. That they wanted awful. to get out of there just as much as we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have one more person, and they are an activist, paddleboarding activist by the name of Lady Ganga. I did see that, and I, she was like, it wasn't. She was like a, an environmentalist activist, right? No, Something she like was that. a she was a cervical cancer activist. So close enough. Um, yeah, and I it guess. was she was big on like she paddleboarded super far to promote the HPV vaccine. She paddleboarded cool. the Rio the Rio Grande. It's a good vaccine, dude. It's a good ass vaccine. It's a. It's a top vaccine. I also want to, uh, since we're talking about peppers. Oh, sorry. I don't want to step on your cancer awareness. My bad. No, please. No. Um, the two <laughs> peppers. And New Mexico chain claims a lot of peppers. But some of the peppers they claim are like Anaheim peppers. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure those might be associated with another city. Like, right, right. Uh, the Where hatch and the poblano are the two green, green chili ingredients. Uh, peppers that that are pretty much cultivated over 100 years in New Mexico. Hatch and poblano yeah, yeah. are the root to green chili. Isn't it like so, I, I've never been there, but I've heard stories where like you go to a restaurant and they just have, you know, like a, yes. a salsa where, yes. where it's made out of the hatch peppers at like every table and just put it on yeah. everything, right? You could go yeah. to like an IHOP and they have that shit, dude. It's yeah. it's everywhere. Oh, really? If it's you want like, really good corporations too. And yeah, any any I think we went we didn't go to a Burger King, but my friend who lives there says he gets a green chili cheeseburger at least like twice a week for Burger King. So it's like definitely like a regional it, thing. Yeah. It's definitely a blend from other stuff that's not in the region, but the Hotch and Poblano are definitely traced back to New Mexico. Well, in the I will say within the last five ten years that that hatch chili has made its way to the Midwest, where like restaurants are starting to like make burgers with it or something like that. Um, it's 
It's, it's a real... Definitely, um, it's spreading, yeah. If, if you want to hit your middle age man peak one of these days, you just go down there, get your green chili, and you source all your turquoise ethically, and you just like look like the most <laughs> yeah, bike, biker, biker Mickey Rourke looking person. I always think about the turquoise because I watched that documentary a couple of years ago about... Um, God, what's Val Kilmer? And he is famously lives in like the Albuquerque or somewhere in Santa Fe or somewhere in New Mexico. And he's always wearing that turquoise in that documentary. Um, They got it it everywhere, man. Yeah. And the stupid ass bolo ties. (laughs) I almost bought bought a bolo down there. It doesn't even cover up your buttons, which is what a tie (laughs) should do. What the hell, man? Get your ties right. Figure it out. It's the Southwest, baby. They got different rules. So weird. Oh, you're talking like the cowboy tie that's just like two strings that come Yeah, 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 yeah. bolo. It's called bolo, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's like a a cowboy belt, but just for your neck. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so... So that's episode 106. I remembered the number. Um, Yay. We did and it. I got to say thanks to Evan for coming on. It was a lot of Thank fun. You, Evan. Thanks for having oh, yeah. me. Thank, Thank you. Um, bring your best. We're going to probably like once the season ends, we'll do another round of guests and we'd love to have you back. Uh, awesome. This is my favorite podcast. You're, bind, you're bound to us forever now. Um, for sure. So <laughs> real quick before we go, best game of the week. Ryan, go first. Chargers, Lions. Evan, best game of the week. Baltimore Ravens, 44. Cleveland Browns, negative seven. Let's go. I love it. <laughs> Shane, Shane, game of the week. Uh, San Francisco, Jacksonville. All right. Oh, and yes. I, I am going to end with Tennessee and Tampa Bay. So until next week, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Derek Carr.